Our Father, we come to a weighty and uh, solemn subject uh, this evening. We pray as we do that you would give us attentiveness, um, uh, the desire to engage with the deep things of life uh, when everyone around us simply looks for entertainment. And we pray that as we do that, we would hear wonderful words of comfort, uh, words of, uh, that answer the great problems of life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You might find it very helpful to dig out uh, this sermon outline, which uh, I've tucked inside uh, all the uh, service orders. I say I. I did have two helpers, uh, my daughters, as we uh, tuck this in. Uh, and uh, you'll find this very helpful, I think, um, not least of all because there are some quotes on there. And as I start, uh, do please look at the first of them. Is there anything that's disappointing you right now? Is there a relationship or situation that's leaving you hurt and confused? Are there personal problems that you simply have not been able to solve? Do you ever feel alienated, alone or misunderstood? Have you had to deal with mistreatment or injustice lately? Have you been hurt, angry, fearful or discouraged? Is there any place in your life where you feel like giving up or giving in? Does your life ever seem much more complicated than it should be? Does it seem like you're always having to deal with obstacles of one kind or another? Do you wish you didn't have so many problems on your plate? Does it bug you that even the easy things in life don't turn out to be nearly as easy as you thought they would be? Are there problems in your past that still haunt you? Do you regularly face difficulties you've solved to sort but which lie open and festering? Have you ever envied someone else's life? Have you ever wished you could start over in some area of life, but you know you can't? Have you ever felt too weak and too unqualified to deal with what is confronting you? Does your life seem to move too fast for you ever to be able to catch up? Well, those are a series of questions asked by Paul Tripp in his excellent book, Broken Down House. And in it, he makes the point that every day we are confronted with the fact that we live in a world that is broken. Well, look at the words the Bible uses to describe it in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16. Do you see it there in 4.16? The world is in darkness and under a cloud, under the shadow of death. That's the world we live in, a broken world where nothing works quite as it should. And when you forget that, it sets you up for a life of constant disappointment. See, forget that we live in a broken world and you'll keep wondering why life isn't quite matching up to your expectations. Forget that we live in a broken world and you'll try to find in this world something that it simply isn't possible to find. The world is broken and and it is broken because we live in a world that has rejected God. See, that is the context of Isaiah chapter 9, the passage that Matthew quotes here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. And the context of Isaiah chapter 9 was the Lord's judgment coming upon his people through the mighty Assyrian army, the world superpower of the day. And in Isaiah chapter 9, the Lord was trying to persuade his people to return to him, to trust him. For in him, in his Christ, there is, do you see it there in 4.16, light in the darkness and life in the face of death. And boy, do we need that light and life. 
Uh, having had a thoroughly enjoyable evening playing tennis on Wednesday, I came home and watched the 10 o'clock news with my wife Caroline. At 10 o'clock, I felt quite at ease with myself. By 10.30, as the news ended, I felt really low. For in that half hour, we had heard about the ongoing economic struggles in Britain and around the world. We'd watched the riots in Greece. We'd seen pictures of the conflict surrounding the eviction of travellers on the Dale Farm Estate in Essex. We'd seen Leon Fox uh, speaking in the House of Commons following the conclusion that he'd failed to keep parliamentary standards. We'd heard about the trial of Vincent Tabak, the man accused of the murder of Joe Yates. And we'd seen pictures of dozens of dead, endangered wild animals shot in Ohio because they'd been let loose from a wildlife park. The 10 o'clock news left me feeling really low, really sad. But that is the news, and it will always be the news because we live, in chapter 4, verse 16, a dark world. A world under the shadow of death. And there is no greater realisation of how dark and how broken this world is than when we have to face death. Whether it be the agony of the death of a loved one or the news of devastating mass murder. We see plenty of it in our world, and it was the world that Matthew lived in as well. You see, in the opening chapters of his gospel, he brought his readers face to face with just how dark this world is by reporting one of the most horrendous moments in history, the systematic homicide of baby boys in Bethlehem. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16. Just imagine this coming onto the news. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 to 18. King Herod, you'll remember, was trying to discover the whereabouts of a new baby who'd been born king of the Jews, but he was the king. Herod was threatened by this pretender to his throne, and so he tried to find the baby Jesus. But when his search came to nothing, when he could not find Jesus, we read these words in verse 16. When Herod realised that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now note the words there. People mourning and refusing to be comforted. Who on earth could comfort these mums and dads following the vicious, systematic murder of baby boys by Herod? What comfort, what possible comfort is there for those who mourn the senseless death of their little boys at the hands of a barbaric, jealous and insecure megalomaniac? Cruel dictators are not a new thing. They're part of our world and they've always been because we live in a world that has rejected God. You see, again, that is the context here in chapter 2, verse 18. It's very similar to that of Isaiah chapter 9. In chapter 2, verse 18, Matthew quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31, a chapter where God's judgment once again was coming upon the people of God, this time through the Babylonians, the world superpower of that time. And here in Jeremiah chapter 13, the Lord is appealing to his people to return to him. In Jeremiah chapter 31, we see that when we refuse to turn back to the Lord, we will be devastated by this world and there will be no comfort. For the world that has turned away from its God is a cruel place. 
and it is a world under the judgment of God. On Friday, I was reminded just how painful it is to live in this world as I went to a funeral. And I saw a good friend whose heart was breaking because of the death of his dear mum. We live in a dark world, a world which was rebelled against our God. A world where there's so much sorrow, much mourning, and chapter 2, verse 18, no comfort, no comfort. A world which is, chapter 4, verse 16, constantly under the shadow of death. And so Paul Tripp, in this uh, book, Broken Down House, writes, The condition of the world we live in should make us weep. See, in this world, it is right to mourn. And not only at funerals, it is right to mourn the state of this world, a world that has rejected God. It's right that when we watch the news on a Wednesday evening, we feel sad at the end of it. And it's right to mourn when we look inside ourselves and see the sin and selfishness in our own lives. Uh, Famously, many years ago, a national newspaper asked its readers to write to them with the answer to this question, what's wrong with the world And G.K. Chesterton, the English thinker, philosopher and writer, wrote, Dear Sirs, what's wrong with the world? I am. Yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. See, Chesterton knew that the heart of the human problem was the problem of the human heart. It's not only out there that we need to mourn. It's in here. We are sinful. The world is dark and the shadow of death hangs over us. And when we see the world as it really is, when we face it as we are tonight, we can't cope. We can't cope with that overwhelming feeling of darkness. We can't cope with the shadow of death. We can't cope with facing up to how broken this world is. And so what a relief to hear the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. The vicar read out these words at the beginning of the funeral service I went to on Friday. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What a relief in death Jesus can comfort. What a relief in a messy, dark world Jesus can comfort. What a relief when I look at my dark heart Jesus can comfort. And so we move from the first point of world to mourn over to over the page a word of comfort. See, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 is a a promise of comfort for mourners. And for that reason, it is a promise that everyone needs to hear. Everyone needs to hear this. See, one of the things I I am most aware of in doing this job is that people are broken. I I keep meeting broken people. Frankly, there's a broken person in in the pulpit in front of you because we're all broken. And you see, the amazing thing is that even people who look sorted are broken. Successful people are broken. Famous people are broken. The people that you and I aspire to be, if only I could be, they're broken. I read an interview recently with the comedian Michael McIntyre. He seems like a nice fellow, doesn't he? He's a guy who's very successful, who on stage and before the camera looks so super confident. But by his own, by his own admission, he is deeply insecure. In the interview, he talked about how he needs people to laugh at him. He worries that he won't be funny. Not only because it's his job, but because he finds his self-worth in people finding him funny. He's deeply insecure. If I'm not funny today, do I have any, any worth? 
Successful people are broken. In Vanity Fair magazine, pop legend Madonna described what motivates her in life. Uh, the quotes uh, on, the, on the handout there. I have an iron will, she says, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. Join the rest of us, Madonna. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Well, I never thought I'd say this, but she's absolutely right. Madonna's absolutely right. See, strong, successful superstars, the very people we look up to and long to emulate, are broken people. And so everyone needs to hear this promise of comfort from Jesus. But if we're going to believe that, we need to see the world as it really is, not as it projects itself. The world tells us it has the answers to the aching void that we feel inside of us. Christian, don't be fooled by the thought that everyone else is sorted and having a blast. It's just not true. When you're thinking of inviting your friends to one of these one big question events and you think to yourself, they won't be interested. They're all right with life. Think again, think again. More people than we realise, far more people than we realise are crying out for light and life in a dark world. Because this is a dark world. And death looms over us. And I'm not right inside. But Jesus has the answer. No, he is the answer. Jesus gives this word of comfort to those who mourn. Chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a remarkable sentence. What blessing, what good can there be in mourning? Because anyone who's ever mourned will know it doesn't feel good. I didn't need to ask my friend at his mum's funeral on Friday how he felt. I could see how he felt. He felt the agony of that aching pain deep in your soul as you grieve the loss of the one you love. He felt the emptiness of her not being there any longer. What blessing can there be in mourning? We considered this word blessed last week. It's the idea of the good life, of a life worth having, of knowing God's smile of approval on your life. It's about being part of the kingdom of heaven and knowing the king of heaven. Knowing the king of heaven, that's how we begin to understand the blessing of mourning. His people in his kingdom know his comfort. His people in his kingdom know his comfort. It's what we saw last week. You see, this teaching of Jesus here is given to his disciples. Very important. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying these words. This is teaching for Jesus' disciples. And again, we saw it last week, but just to remind us, see how the Beatitudes begin and end. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As I said last week, this is a kingdom of heaven sandwich. Everything in this section is about living life as a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. So this is a promise for God's people. And as one of God's children, there is blessing in mourning. 4 verse 4, the Christian will be comforted. And, And the word that they, 
for they will be comforted is emphatic, meaning they and they alone. Only the Christian is comforted in mourning, for only the Christian has the comfort of the gospel. And only the Christian will mourn over the world because of its rebellion against God. That's the mourning, you see, we're talking about here. But when you are really mourning, mourning the dark world we live in, mourning the distressing fact of your own sin, mourning the death of a loved one, when you are really in mourning, how wonderful to know that there is genuine comfort that comes from knowing Jesus. Genuine comfort. The comfort here is the comfort of the gospel. For as I've written here on the uh, handout, in the gospel we have the forgiveness of sin. In the gospel, death is defeated. In the gospel, resurrection life is guaranteed. In the gospel, a new heavens and a new earth are promised. And in the gospel, we can be sure there will be a day when there will be no more mourning. Ever. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 to 4. Page 1,249. Page 1,249 right towards the end of the Bible. The promise of the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to these glorious words. Are you there? 1, 2, 4, 9. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't it wonderful? In the new heaven and the new earth, there'll be no hankies, no hospitals and no hearses, no more crying, no more pain and no more death. No mourning. There is the comfort that we get in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A deep meaningful comfort because in Christ there is a solution to the great problems of the world that is the blessing of being in the kingdom of heaven that is the blessing of being one of Jesus's people that is the blessing of Jesus's promise here a world to mourn over secondly a word of comfort and thirdly a way to react see how should we respond then to all that we see in the world as you look at the sorry state of the world what are you going to do as a colleague of mine said, the world tells us to toughen up. Are you going to toughen up, tough it out? Go through life with a stiff, up, stiff upper lip if you're an Englishman. Well, you could try that. Or you could become cynical. Tell everyone that this is a rotten world and we shouldn't expect anything other than misery. Or you can do that and you'll become bitter and like a grumpy old man, you'll rob everyone else around you of any expectation of a bright hope. You can refuse to be comforted, you see. Or when you see the state of this world, you can mourn for this world, a world in rebellion against God, and you can run to Jesus who will comfort you. He will give you the comfort of a genuine solution to the problem of this dark world, the promise of another world to come. And when you're confronted with death, what are you going to do? Uh, Act like an ostrich, bury your head in the sand, ignore death and hope it goes away? That's the way most people deal with it in Britain today. 
But it doesn't work because eventually they have to call on me to take a funeral. Eventually death catches up with you. What do you do then? Explain it away. That's what people do. Try to persuade yourself that granny had a good innings. Well, maybe granny did live longer than most. And maybe granddad was content right up to the moment he slipped away. And maybe it was a peaceful death. But you can't explain it away. Death is a terrible thing. And it hurts. Death feels wrong because it is wrong. So is that how you'll deal with death? Explain it away? You can do that, but you won't find any comfort. Or you can look at death and see it for what it is, the result of sin in the world. See what a terrible thing death is and run to Jesus. And when you do, you'll be comforted with the genuine comfort of resurrection life from the grave. And when you're confronted with the darkness of your own sin, what are you going to do? Make excuses for it? Deny that it really is sin? Compare yourself with others who are worse than you and tell yourself you're not that bad. Sorry, I'm not deliberately pointing at Kate at the moment. Well, you know, you can do that, but let me tell you, you'll get no comfort and you'll still feel guilty. Or you can face up to it. Face up to your sin, mourn your sin, run to Jesus, and there you'll be comforted. Because through his death on the cross, he can give you forgiveness and the deep peace of mind that you are right with God. How are you going to react? Try to cope? Refuse to be comforted or run to Jesus and have his comfort? And then finally, when you have run to Jesus, how are you going to react? Remember the words of Paul Tripp, the condition of the world we live in should make us weep. Jesus wept over this world. And so the mark of the genuine believer is that we mourn over this world. That is the point, surely, of Matthew chapter 5. It's what the disciple does. This world is in darkness, under the shadow of death. It is broken because it's a world that's rebelled against God. We should mourn. So how are we going to react? Let me urge us all to learn to mourn over sin and the effects of sin in our world. Kent Hughes, in this book, this book, Our Evangelicals Born Again, says, true Christianity manifests itself in what we cry over and what we laugh about. It's very good, that, isn't it? True Christianity manifests itself in what we cry over and what we laugh about. It's a very insightful comment. Because the world laughs about the wrong things. We notice how the world laughs about sin, The world laughs about the very thing that ruins this world. A stand-up comedy has has enjoyed a huge renaissance in the last couple of years. Vast arenas are filled by audiences wanting to be entertained by stand-up. It gets slots on prime-time television, whether it's Michael McIntyre's Comedy Roadshow or John Bishop's Britain. And these comedians are often very clever in the way they look at life, very insightful. But I can't watch them for long. For in no time their act turns rude and crude and base. And it's desperate as the camera pans onto the enormous audiences laughing at things that are shameful, frankly, that we ought to be embarrassed about. The world laughs at the wrong things. Don't laugh with them. True Christianity manifests itself in what we cry over and what we laugh about. Learn to mourn sin in the world. 
Mourn over the fact that this world is in rebellion against God. Mourn over the news. Mourn over social injustice. Mourn over war and conflict. Mourn over death, any death, not just the death of your loved one, any death, the murder of an individual that you hear about, that you've never met before, but you hear about on the news. Mourn about it, because it's a terrible thing. Mourn about those mass destructions of whole groups of people at the hands of wicked dictators. It is terrible. Mourn over sin. Mourn over the way sin is considered fun and funny. Mourn over the sin of this city. Mourn over dodgy business practices and shady financial deals. Mourn over sin. Learn to mourn over your sin. The sin in your life that hurts others and denies your God, that hurts him, the one who died for you. Mourn over it. Because it's a terrible thing. Be a mourner. But as you mourn, know the blessing of the comfort that is given to mourners in Christ. Noted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, this sorry world will one day be transformed into a new creation where there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more mourning ever. So be a mourner, because blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray together. been thinking about weighty things uh, all day really but uh, not least of all this evening and so let me just leave a moment of silence a chance for you to respond in a way where you've most been challenged Heavenly Father, we're struck by this thought that true Christianity manifests itself in what we cry over and what we laugh about. We want to ask your forgiveness that we've laughed along with things in this world that are not funny. Things that we ought to be ashamed of. We're sorry that we are part of this world And this world has shown its rebellion against you in the most barefaced ways. We ask you to have, to give us your eyes on the world, to know that you mourn over your world, and that we would be people who care for your world the way that you do. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to help us to be those who mourn our sin. To not treat it lightly, but to remember that it sent the Lord Jesus to the cross. And as we gaze upon the cross, we thank you for the wonderful forgiveness that is ours there. The wonderful hope that there is for the world. And in the resurrection, the glorious, glorious hope that there is for those who face death and judgment. 
And so, our Father, we pray that we would be mourners. But as we mourn, that we'd also be comforted with the glorious good news of the gospel of forgiveness, of death defeated, of resurrection life, of the new heavens and the new earth, and one day the end of all mourning. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.